Why? <laughs> Wait, why do you? Why? What do you? Okay, you don't like Comic Sans and you don't like Papyrus. Are you just a strict yeah. Times New Roman? No, absolutely not. But Comic Sans is truly the worst font to ever exist. <laughs> I personally take offense. I literally thought you put this document in Comic Sans to, to like get you? at me. Yes. <laughs> like, welcome to our welcoming show. Here's the your least favorite. I make it so well known that I hate Comic Sans. I didn't know this. It belongs nowhere outside of a fourth grade book report. I'm now scrolling through. Did you know there's a font called Covered by Your Grace? (laughs) There there are some weird ones. (laughs) There, no, there are some weird ones. My favorite weird title is just me again down here. That's That's literally a a font. That's a font. No. (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Anytime I'm sad, I'm just going to look through fonts now. These are weird. Oh, my God. I literally, I feel like my opinion of you has changed by your usage of this font. I'm not even kidding. And with that, welcome to Point of View. <laughs> sometimes, the, the sometimes the perfect cold open really just <laughs> it presents itself. Writes itself. In Comic Sans. In Comic Sans. Ugh. I love that. Oh, Dan's God. gonna Dan's gonna love that. Do you remember how to do this? Oh, I remember how to do this. <laughs> how are you? I feel like it's been so long since we've done this, even though we've hung out in the interim. And it's really only been a few weeks. In the interim. It has Hi. only been a few weeks. Nice microphone. Thanks. Um, New one. Do I sound different? No. Kidding, no. you do. Right. You sound great. <laughs> Better than you ever have. Um, Fantastic. How are you? You are, are you a dead man walking? I asked you this earlier when we talked. I'm. I yeah, feel like I'm, I'm a, a dead little man tired. Walking. I'm little. I'm a little tired. Um, I feel like the weekend we just had because we'll do an episode about this. But we just played the game Big Brother. So if you know, well, I didn't. I hosted it. But if you know the game on TV on CBS, we played that over a weekend. We had two houses. We had the keys. We had the veto ceremony. We had, or the veto medallion. We had everything, and I was driving people back and forth to the different houses like the evicted people to the jury house so it feels unreal well you did a fantastic job i just want to have to say i mean we will talk about this but on on a future episode i think we might even do like a i don't know like a bravo andy cohen style reunion maybe episode but i i think (laughs) can you channel your 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 inner andy cohen no, I channeled my inner Julie all weekend. You, you did. You did. You did channel your inner inner Julie Chen. Julie my, Chen. And my... now, and now here I am, exhausted, <laughs> with nothing on my mind but little Debbie and her mom, full size Deborah. <laughs> what? It's one of my favorite memes right I know now. It's 
Oh, have you ever seen it? It's a. You've, it's a I think um, you've cards against humanity card. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Yes. And wait, wasn't okay? Is wasn't another wasn't a, another cards against humanity card an inspiration for one of the the competitions for this weekend? Yes, it was finding Nemo then pan frying him. Yes, and and the, and the competition. You didn't you froze little fish figurines and you had to get the fish out of the ice, right? Yes, and then put it in the little mini pan. I didn't, I'm not going to tell you how bad I did, but I didn't do well. <laughs> this. He didn't do bad either. Well. He didn't do poorly. We'll leave it at that. We'll talk about that on the We'll talk about episode. that in another episode. How are episode, you? But I, I'm how are good. You? I'm, also. I, also, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I made our guest laugh already, which is just, I'm going to, this episode's been a success. <laughs> I'm super, I'm super excited for our guest. We'll get there in a moment. You asked me how I was. Okay. How I was. I did do that. Um, I think. I said I was good. Before we started recording, we all know that was a lie. Um, <laughs> I just, I, I just had a, I've had a day. I don't know. It's like, I think it's because I didn't get a lot of sleep this weekend with the, with, with the game, and although I should have, but I, I didn't, and I don't know. Just, I had, I had the Monday blues, and, but I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm doing better. I'm doing better. It's as the hours have gone by, it's gotten better. You know, it's been one of those things. I was I've been looking forward to this episode and recording all day. So so this is this is I can confidently say is going to be and is already the highlight of my day. So I'm glad you're a part of it. I'm glad our guest is a part of it. You know, this guest has has jokingly asked to be on the podcast, and then when we finally invited her, she was like, oh, I don't know what we're gonna talk about. Um <laughs> but but it's been a long time coming. We're super excited to have her on. Let me introduce her. So our guest today is a New Jersey native, is a fellow Loyola Greyhound who worked as a social justice intern in Loyola's campus ministry office, not at the same time as us, but part of that legacy of campus ministry interns. After graduating with a Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology and Gender Studies in 2014, she served as a year-long volunteer with Rostro de Cristo in Duran, Ecuador, which I definitely butchered the pronunciation of that city, I'm so sorry, where she was volunteered at a care facility for people with Hansen's disease, or formerly known as leprosy, as well as at an after-school program for neighborhood youth. After being a year-long volunteer in Ecuador, she went on to pursue her Master's of Arts in Social Justice at Loyola University in Chicago, and she currently works as the Assistant Director for Social Justice in Loyola University Maryland's Office of Campus Ministry, which you and I, that's where we met her. Um, <laughs> she is a relatively new member of the Marvel Cinematic Universe fandom as well as the, uh, the Star Wars fandom and she I always appreciate her uh, in real time reactions to watching those movies on her social media pages she is a good friend I think I can speak for both of us in saying that a good friend of ours and of this show without further ado please welcome Emily Kane Hi. Welcome. Yay, this is so exciting. <laughs> Hi, how are you? I just sit and listen to that whole introduction of myself. <laughs> it's kind of fun, right? How often do you get to Not often. Listen to your resume be read to you. No, not often. <laughs> I'm not sure that I would put myself in the Star Wars fandom. 
Okay. Okay. But I have now seen them. You've now seen them. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's going to be a hot take, but it's fine. <laughs> we love those. It's all right. We love those on this show. <laughs> I'll tell George. Probably. Lucas, that is. Oh, I was going to say, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not the first hot, hot take of this episode. You know? No. But. No. You, you, so, wait. Talk a little bit about that. Like, you did you get Disney Plus and you just decided, or did the pandemic hit, or how did you get into the, the these Marvel movies all of a sudden? So, so it actually started with Game of Thrones. Oh, so okay. I was in my last semester of grad school writing my thesis, and I decided, what better time to start watching the entire series of Game of Thrones than that semester? So. I started watching and I was documenting it because like everybody had already seen Game of Thrones and for me it was all new. So I started posting it on my stories and then my friend from Loyola actually came up with a hashtag Cane of Thrones <laughs> and from then it just took off. And so I watched the entire series in time to watch the series finale with the public. When it was released, yeah. When mm -hmm. it was released and... I don't know. Then it just kind of like snowballed to Star Wars because I had never seen a Star Wars movie. And then Marvel was a natural third option after that. <laughs> so I've just been like documenting it. And it started before the pandemic. But then like once the pandemic hit, I was like, well, this is you had all the time all the I'm world. doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. So they're all saved on my Instagram uh, stories. So In the archive. Wait, in like on your yeah, like you can look at them anytime. I can look at them. Oh well, I know what I'm <laughs> doing when we're done with this episode. <laughs> that was basically oh, my, my entire pandemic. It was Fantastic. just like drinking red wine and like watching movies and posting <laughs> on Instagram about it. It's so wonderful though, because because as someone who has kind of like followed along with with at least Marvel, Star Wars, I'm I'm more mm. of a casual fan, I would say. Um, it's funny, like when you were watching the Infinity Saga, just yeah. knowing what was coming, I was like, "Ooh, like I can't wait to see how she reacts to this." It yeah, I had some major spoilers, like just by existing in the world and on social media. <laughs> but like, I was watching the first Star Wars movie, and my dad walked in while I was watching it and goes, "Oh, isn't this the one where Darth Vader cuts his hand off?" And I was like, <laughs> "Spoiler alert! I don't know." Hasn't like seen that movie yet? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm not sure. I guess it is. Like, so there are just some things you can't avoid, but some things I was very surprised by. <laughs> I mean, Marvel holds up. That is a great, great like franchise. It's a commitment series. Yeah, it is. Because it's a lot of movies now, like a lot. Have you been keeping up with them as they've no. been coming out now? No. Um, I think I stopped at. Um, uh, I haven't seen Black Widow. Okay. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. Did you see? Have you seen Shang Chi? No. No. Okay. So you have. Justin seen loves that movie. I love. I love Shang Chi. Do you really? I think, I, yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. It's the first. Not like you <laughs> and not like you and Comic Sans. I interpret everything as sarcasm. Sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love. I love. You do. I love Shang Chi. It was the first uh, Asian American. Uh, yeah. Or Asian hero, superhero, not just, he's actually Asian uh, Canadian, um, mm. but Asian superhero in 
in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So that Love was that. I wanted to get little like I'm about to hold up one of those Funko Pops. Like you, you know these little things with the oh, the blur is not working. <laughs> but you know you never see these things. Yeah. These things? I want one of those for Shang Chi, but I haven't I haven't gotten one. Not yet. But, no. Dare it's, to dream. it's on the wish list. Maybe maybe for Christmas. <laughs> I did start the first ever ever Marvel movie I saw was Black Panther. And so I am it was actually the day that um Chadwick Boseman died. And that night my roommate and I were like, We should watch it. And so I am hyped for Wakanda Forever, but I've not seen it yet. Yes. I am very excited for that movie as well. I am very curious about what the how they handled his passing Mm -hmm. because obviously that was like they probably had a script written and then Chadwick Boseman passed away and Mm -hmm. they had to figure out a way they weren't just going to recast you know you had to handle that in in a way that was respectful and you know everything that comes with that so I'm very curious to see how they what it's about (laughs) because I I don't know do you think that he let them know beforehand like I know he didn't tell like the public but do you think he like gave them like this is not like a this is gonna sound very casual but like the gave them notice i guess or like a heads up that yeah. like he wasn't doing well i think he knew when he was filming black panther right yes yes so i imagine at some point he must have been like hey by the right. way um right i'm yeah. sure i'm sure like certain members of the cast and crew that he was close with he let them know but I don't know it's if he still was so like, sad. hey, Marvel uh, execs. So sad. It was so, it's so sad. Um, but also, a lot of respect to him for keeping it so private when he like lived such a life in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know. Sad yeah. I need, to, I need to go see it. Yes. Me too. Um, anyway, welcome to the show. Thank you. We're so happy to have you. I think this is going to be a fun episode. I have a feeling it's going to be a long episode. Um, so just listeners, I mean, you've, we've been away for a bit. So I, I think this will be hopefully give you your, your dose of, of do. <laughs> it's so bad. We, <laughs> we ask our guests the same question. Um, would you like to do the honors? No. Um, what would, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, if you were a fruit, what fruit would you be? And, and, by chance, why? So, luckily I had a lot of time to think about this question. I'm so excited for this. And Justin has been waiting for months for an answer (laughs) to this question. Um. Did you remember your answer? I, I, I think so. I remembered about, like, an hour ago that I did not cross-reference with Lupe, um, <laughs> but I think I remember. Okay. Um, so I would be a passion fruit, and Ooh. I'm not sure how familiar you are with passion fruits, um, but, like, just on their own, they're, like, really, really, really tart. Like, you can't mm. eat a regular passion fruit. It's just, like, too much. Um. But once you, like, add it to things or you, like, add lots of, like, sugar or you put it in something, it's, like, delicious. One of the best, best, best fruits. So 
I think for me, sometimes I can be a little rough around the edges. And I feel like you guys met me through work. So like my job is literally to like care for people. So (laughs) I like am not in that setting, but I can like be sarcastic. I can be a little like a biting wit, you know? So I think I'm a little rough around the edges. But when you get to know me and you know like who I am and my potential, then I can really like blossom into this like great, wonderful thing. <laughs> was that worth it? I love that. Was Is that, that worth, worth it? The, yes, the weight? that was fantastic. Yes. That was a terrible explanation. But I no. do love a passion fruit. I, I, I've said this before in the show, and Nick, I feel like you can agree with me, but I feel like so many guests come on and feel like they need to have this giant philosophical <laughs> answer to it. And some people are like, I don't know. I think I'm this because I like that fruit. And that's just as easy of an answer, <laughs> like a great of an answer too. Like I just, just the interpretation of how people answer this question is why I really, really like it. And I think that was a great answer. Thank you. I'm living Listen. proof that if you complain long enough and loudly enough, about not being invited on a podcast. You can get on a podcast and share what fruit you are. What fruit you are. There is hope. <laughs> See what I did there? Also, to all future like um answer givers, I guess, guests, if you will, to this question. Yes. I mean, yeah. Um you're just answer givers on this show. It's it's fine. Like it's not a big deal. No one is gonna have a better answer than me, and that's okay. Like I just <laughs> You took three tries though. You have to like <laughs> What was the result? What fruit are you? I'm a cherry. <laughs> Let's it's talk a about hope. Answer. It's a Let's wonderful talk answer. <laughs> Life is a journey. It's an evolution. Of Life, yeah. And that's... Okay, so that's a great segue into what I wanted to ask you next. So you, we obviously... You've given me so much advice just in general. I don't know if you know this, like you say your your baseline is sarcastic but you've actually given me lots of like really great things to to like specifically one of the like best pieces of advice you've given me recently was i was struggling maybe it was this spring of just trying to figure out what my next step in life was going to be and i find that a lot of members of our audience tend to be you know around college age maybe just out of college, maybe just before college, um, maybe grad school, that type of time. And I definitely am not alone in trying to figure out what comes next after college, right? Because whether you go to college or not, at least through high school, and if you go to college, all the way through college, your life is scripted. It's a recipe. You're going, you know, dot, 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 dot. And then when Mm -hmm. you graduate college, it's you get to do whatever you want to do, (laughs) which is a great liberating thing, but it can also be a really stress-inducing thing. Terrifying. Yeah, wants a plan, is used to a plan. It's awful. Um, (laughs) So so I wanted to just kind of ask you, well, actually, I should probably share the advice you gave me, which was instead of... I was going to say. uh, (laughs) She gave me advice. It was great. Not going to share it. I'm not going to share it. She said, Justin, nothing matters anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sometimes that's the advice I get. <laughs> the piece of advice you gave me was was when it when there's a lot of pressure to look to next stage, what comes like way 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 out. Just figure out what the next right step is. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I needed is 
I was trying to figure out like what job I was going to take, do what if I was going to do grad school, what path, like what path, if if it was a doctorate, PhD, PsyD, masters, what, and I was super overwhelmed because I'm like, okay, I'm should probably start on a path that's like, okay, this is the career path that I'm taking, mm-hmm. but really the advice you gave me was just simplify it. What is the next right step for you right now? And that honestly is what helped me with, okay, I'm going to apply for the job that I currently have now. And I'm now, okay, next right step. Now I'm going to apply to PsyD programs. And we were just talking about how that's super stressful for me right now, but it, it has helped me simplify things and, and not, uh, put the pressure that I always, I often do. And I'm sure many people do of like, okay, this decision that I make in this moment is going to have ripple effects for years to come. So it needs to be the right decision because that's just awful. So, um, yeah, so that was a piece of advice that you gave me. That's really helpful. And so I want to ask you one, is there a piece of advice that you have been given that has been helpful to kind of set you on your own trajectory. And the second part of that is what are kind of some of those big moments in your life that you can think of that have kind of led you to where you are? I think it would be helpful for our audience who are, like I said, are in those formative years of near college, around college, college adjacent um, times of their lives. It could be helpful um, to not just hear from Nick and I, but from, from you as well. Got it. And I thought we were going to open with the hard questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Best advice of your life. Go. Um, I didn't even give you this one. This is. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say this wasn't on the prompt. Off script. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm like, uh, no, I think. Um, I think for me, hearing that myself of finding the next right thing was really transformative for me so like I can't take full credit there's like a full podcast called the next right thing like it's not like me and of course now I don't know what the woman's name is coming on our show (laughs) having the audacity to plug another podcast I'm I'm kidding I'm kidding mostly for my plagiarized advice (laughs) Um, but I think what was really helpful for me in college um was I well So I came from, I guess, like a first-gen family, which I didn't fully identify until later. I had some external folks in my family who had gone to college, um, but neither of my parents had graduated from college. And so there was a big push, right, of like, you have to go, you have to do these things, you have to get a return on our investment, right? That was the big phrase, return on investment. Um, So when I was graduating, I was like, really stressed um, and trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I was trying to convince myself to go to grad school. I was like, that's the only way um, that I can achieve what I'm meant to do, which I didn't even know what that was. And so I had to take the GRE and I kept putting it off and I kept putting it off and I kept putting it off. And every that week, awful test. <laughs> I hate that. which that's a whole nother issue. But <laughs> I would come in to my supervisor, Pat Range. Um, I'd come into his office in campus ministry and he's like, did you schedule your test yet? And I was like, no. And one day he just looked at me and he was like, do you want to take the test? 
like, do you want to go to grad school? And I was like, no, I don't. And like somebody just granting me the freedom to say like, no, I don't. Um, and asking me even like what I want rather than what I think I'm supposed to do was so liberating. And like, that's not to say like, oh, then you make that decision and it's easy from there on out. That's just step one, right? It's making the decision. But somebody allowing me the space to think about an alternative was really, really helpful. And then I could start envisioning what would my life look like if I got to choose what came next. And that's where I started exploring like years of service, right? And that's where I was figuring out, okay, maybe I want to do a volunteer year. So like, what would that look like? But that's really how I lived five full years after I graduated college. I was, I was changing locations, cities, jobs, school every year um, up until I came to this job now. So it's not to say that it's like not terrifying because it totally is, but being able to trust, like if I can get a sense of what feels right for this next step, I don't have to know what, where I'm going to be in 15 years. Like, God, that's so much pressure, (laughs) you know? So it's like, I just have to figure out where next, because like you said, it was like everything was prescribed up until you graduate college. And then it's like, well, (laughs) here you go. The world's your oyster for better or worse. Right. Like, but I think my decision to do a year of service was super transformative. Um, Going to a new country, not being able to speak the language very well. Um, I was thrown into a completely new environment. I lived in a community that was really not formally recognized by the government. It kind of popped up informally as people moved in from the countryside to work in Guayaquil in the big like economic capital of Ecuador. And living with people who are experiencing poverty, material poverty, right? Like day in and day out in that setting. I mean, there's no way that that doesn't transform your life. Yeah. You know, I came back from that year just being like in awe of the people that I lived in community with and coming back, looking at this, this world, right. And being like, what, what am I doing? Like, what am I I doing? Yeah. (laughs) And there's just like the, the Jesuit volunteer corps has this phrase that they've coined, but I think everyone who does the year of service kind of experiences it. It's like ruined for life. Mm. Right. Like once you experience that, you, you, once you open your eyes to how the majority of the world lives, it's hard to impossible to unsee that. Yeah. But that's like a major turning point for me and like my, interest in immigration which is like what I focused on in graduate school and my desire to find a career path that was meaningful to me without a doubt the most transformative experience of my life yeah absolutely I mean I don't know if we've talked about it on the show Nick but I think you and I have had conversations and same with you Emily about the difference between mission trips immersion trips Mm. and years of service and you know 
the, the phrase that comes to mind sometimes is just like that savior complex, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. if you go and do a mission trip and you go into a, a community that, you know, as you, as you mentioned is, is materially poor and, and you go in and you might you know, build a house and then it's like, okay, great. And then you leave mm-hmm. versus like really experiencing and getting to know the people and building relationships and understanding how people live. And, you know, I, I'm sure, I mean, I mentioned that the two types of service that you did there were working with in, in a community that cares for people with Hansen's disease or, or leprosy. Mm-hmm. And then working, was it an after school program with youth? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so those are very different experiences. Yeah. I don't know if those were, those were like, that was day and then night, or if it was like on certain <laughs> days you did, you yeah. did the Hansen's disease unit and then other days you did the after school program. But I'm sure just even moving to a new country that doesn't speak the language that you speak, that's immersion in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And a, 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 someone is not going to change a change. <laughs> in, in what you're used to in and of mm-hmm. itself but then the different types of service too that you did I'm sure was I don't yeah. know jarring is the right word but just maybe something you're not used to mm-hmm. yeah I remember getting to Ecuador in our first full day walking out into the neighborhood and it felt like I was on the moon I was like <laughs> I don't recognize this like this is so out of my realm of experience right um yeah it was I mean jarring and I think like jarring in in the best way and I went in there I was like I do not like children I don't like kids (laughs) I don't want to really work with kids the community that I was in like most of the volunteers worked with kids and I was like not my thing so I was at the after school program five days a week, and then in the morning I would go to Damien House. That was the name of the um, hospital, and I'd be there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday mornings. So I'd hang out with eighty nine year old men playing dominoes, and then in the afternoon I would go and play like teach the five, six, and seven year olds like their colors, and so it was like. <laughs> just these wild extremes and there was so much going on and it was so chaotic and so beautiful and I think what really was so special about my volunteer program Rosa de Cristo is that it was focused on relationships not Mm. acts of service and their sort of tagline was like being with not doing for right so having to accept the humility that we don't have answers, we don't have solutions, I don't have any special skills, right? But I'm going to be there with people, walk with people, learn from people. Um, And so that really, I think, was what made it unique and informed my understanding of social justice work forever. Because before then, I talk about this all the time, in college, I was insufferable. I thought I knew everything. (laughs) I literally thought I knew everything. My volunteer year taught me, like, I really don't know anything. And the only thing I do know is, like, how to build relationships with other people. But yeah, that shaped everything from there on out. I think I would have a totally different understanding of social justice work without that experience. You talk about social justice. Can you explain 
in your own words what it is because we hear that word we hear that yeah. term a lot and i guess why it's important to be in that field yeah so this is like a hard question it feels like it should be like a softball question that i'm like totally i have like my clear-cut answer but i think it changes all the time you're a master in it you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's so horrific yeah. i mean i'm just like i guess yeah. <laughs> but for me like i see social justice as the circumstance in which we are living in right relationship with others and with a higher power, right? God, whatever you want to call that. Um, and that right relationship is a very, like, that's a very Catholic um, phrasing, but it's one that really resonates with me um, because in order for me to be in right relationship with others, I can't be benefiting from a system that oppresses others, right? I can't be utilizing like 700 times the energy <laughs> consumption, right? That like, so that other people around the other side of the world like have to suffer from the effects of that. Like I, that does not equal right relationship. So it's a little amorphous and it's not my best answer. My grad school professors might not be thrilled with me, but like, that fundamentally is what it comes down to for me. Am I in right relationship with others? Am I in right relationship with God or this higher being, right? Um, and then everything else stems from that. And it's also interesting, like, being in this field, right? Like, it feels like it isn't really even a field. <laughs> like... I, I was applying to my job, I say this all the time, and I had just graduated with a master's in social justice. I was applying to be assistant director for social justice. I was like, I don't get this job. I'm never going to get any job because <laughs> this is like the most qualified I'll ever be to do anything. Like, so, but it's really, I think so many people do this work without this title, right? The vast majority of people do this work without it being explicitly labeled as social justice. Um, and someone told me once, it's like a kind of a very Jesuit perspective that whatever you're doing, you know, you have like liberation theologians, it's like liberation theology is a discipline of theology. So you have these people who are liberation theologians, they were like, be whatever you do, be a liberation blank, like anything that you're doing, you need to be working for a more just and equitable world through that position, right? Through that career. Because we all have different gifts and talents. I think when it comes down to it, my job is more about talking to people and connecting with people than it is about my expertise in social justice because it doesn't exist. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've yeah. like learned stuff and studied stuff, but more than anything, my, my gift is, I think, connecting with people. And so, but anybody can do that and everybody can can approach their work through the lens of justice. Um, but it takes some reworking of our frameworks and narratives and understanding. Yeah. I really liked what you said. I liked your definition because when I was thinking about it, I was thinking like doing right by other people or just like mm -hmm. 
promoting the best for everyone. But I liked how you you said it was a very Catholic definition, mm-hmm. but like li- the with that you put in there, like W I T H, kind of takes you out of it. As in, like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm doing this for people. It kind of takes that savior complex out of it a little bit. Not that it's, like, fully there when you're saying, oh, I'm doing good for people. Like, that's yeah. not, you know. I think that in in and of itself is just, like, a good thing. And, like, the right relationship piece, too, I like as well. Because relationships are two-way streets. Right. So it's not just one person acting to to, to cause change, to do help. It's It's right relationship, I think, of reaching a hand out. And someone that's, watching him back. That's what I. That's what I mean by the with. Like yeah, the r- yeah. Right relationship. I also. It's such. It's very challenging though. That definition itself is very challenging because you gave. You explained what you meant by in relation in right relationship with, and it's like not benefiting from systems that are oppressing other people, and yet here we are, mm-hmm. and and by definition of just existing where we do and. Mm-hmm having like the technology that we're using to and i i don't mean to be like a downer but like we we do benefit Mm -hmm. from those systems so it's like are we ever really is it a goal or is it a way of life yeah or is it both because it's not a destination yeah but that ties into hope i think yes yes so i i think often about um MLK's quote, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And I feel like I spent so much time being like, does it though? Like, (laughs) does it? (laughs) Because it feels like it doesn't. (laughs) And then I heard, and I I won't, I can't remember who said this, but there was an activist who said like, yeah, it bends towards justice because people are bending it. Right? People are bending Mm that arc you have to put in effort and energy and work to bend that arc we can't just hope that oh one day it'll it'll resolve itself once the population of the u.s is more diverse than it's ever been it'll just fix itself it's like no no these systems will self-perpetuate until we have to bend the arc and that i think really like transformed it for me and it ties in very much to what you're saying about hope because it's easy to just fall into, like, well, everything is, like, messed up and it's never going to get any better. I have to pull myself out of that all the time. This is why, like, I told Maraid, who's at both of you now. Yeah. Been I on told, the show, too. Her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard of her. I told her today that she's like, oh, my gosh, what are you talking about on the podcast? And I was like, hope. And she started laughing. <laughs> and I was what? like, I mean, fair. Like, because I'm not, like... I am not the, I don't do well with, with hope, which is exactly why I said, like, I think this is what I want to talk to y'all about because it's freaking hard. It is hard. And that's speaking as like a white woman who's had it relatively easy, right? Like it is hard to remain hopeful um, or to even engage in hope, even like much less remain hopeful. So, yeah, I think those things are absolutely connected. Totally.
before we do a deep dive into hope, because I, I do want to do that. And being mm. the optimist on the show, I think I you know, really, really. <laughs> You're outnumbered. <laughs> <I'm> out- <laughs> Nick, but I don't want to speak for you, but. Let me just let me let us just enter a place that is, you know, void of all hope, which is the world of politics. Um, <laughs> the re- recently and I, I think this ties into it. This isn't me just being like, let me just suck the air out of the room. Um, <laughs> although I do that. You're too. only you're only the optimist by default. By default. <laughs> OK, it depends if I'm at my family dinner table. I'm not the optimist. But, you know, it, it's, it's uh, everything right. is it's contextual. Everything's mm. contextual. Mm-hmm. Um, we needed an optimist. So we were like, all right, we'll, we'll give it to Justin. <laughs> the, the point of do should be positive, right? <laughs> we, we're talking about social justice. We're talking about hope. And we recently, as as we're all we're all in the United States, some of our audience is not mm. in the United States, but the United States just had a midterm mm. election, and by some definition, we're still having a midterm election. <laughs> we're still there. States states are still counting. Um, but <laughs> I wanted to bring up the midterms a little bit because I feel like a lot of, not a lot, but but a good piece of social justice work. When I think about social justice work, is advocacy Mm -hmm. work and when i think of advocacy work i think of policy public policy politics you know everything's tied in it's not everything but it's Mm -hmm. it's important so i wanted to bring up maybe if you could talk a little bit about how advocacy ties into social justice for you so initially um when we were trying to find dates to record i was like i'm not doing this (laughs) until the midterms are over (laughs) (laughs) because my perspective on hope is going to drastically change depending on the outcome of the midterms and I think like what we saw in the midterms in many ways was an expression of hope through advocacy work because I was listening to a lot of I don't want to plug another you're allowed you're allowed you're allowed (laughs) I was just joking. Plug another podcast. Um, (laughs) I listen to Pod Save America, which is former um, Obama White House employees, staffers, who they just talk about politics now. And they were saying, you know, so many things have happened to make us feel like hopeless in politics. Like, oh, my God. Exactly. Like where hope goes to die. Like suck the air out of the room. That's politics. And um And in a lot of ways, what we saw happen on Tuesday and in the following days were were people saying no to really extreme candidates, right? To people that were kind of running on a hopeless message. And it's not often that I think we get to see kind of concrete results of like, do people even care about this? Is anybody paying attention? And like the answer on Tuesday was yes, which like does not always happen right like as we've seen that's powerful (laughs) it's just like it is very powerful it we don't always get to see that and i think that's you know i was reflecting on this in this context and that's what made obama's campaign in 20 uh 2008 and 2012 right it was like he he connected so many different people because he ran on a message of hope 
yes we can right that's what i don't even know if y'all remember that you're like <laughs> yes yeah, yeah. yeah. how old I was are in you fifth grade I'm just <laughs> i was in fifth grade but i remember it <laughs> i was 16 and pissed off that i can vote yeah <laughs> Not but John that's... McCain winning in my elementary school. <laughs> Same, I think. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but that's like what drew people in. And he brought people together like we had not seen in decades. And that's why campaigns like Trump's, like while it had some mild success in the beginning, can't survive. Right. Because they run on a message of fear and hopelessness and despair. And like when you can bring people together under a semblance of a vision for the future, that's what brings people out. Right. To vote. So it's very much about politics and less about like direct advocacy. But I think those things are all connected. Like people feel hopeless and won't go out to vote, won't call their senator representative won't send the email won't pay attention to the news because it feels so depleting and i totally get that for me as someone who's got big time control issues this is the only way i feel like i can like control my rage is like calling the attorney general's office and being like you can't put this person to death right like calling my senator and being like, thank you for voting the right way. Like, I, I really appreciate this. Like, you found a very productive way to change. I was going to say. Only <laughs> partially. I, say. <laughs> I still I have say. a lot of rage. Do you have rage? Call your senator. Yes. But like, genuinely, genuinely, like, that is a way to combat my hopelessness. And like, does it feel like screaming into the void to leave a message on the White House voicemail box like a little bit but like <laughs> we have to be able to engage and that requires a degree of hope yeah it's not easy no yeah no and i mean to put two concrete things that were on the ballot were women's reproductive rights and, and abortion were, were one thing that was on the ballot and uh a lot of people were saying there were a lot of de election deniers, uh, 2020 election deniers, and people were saying, you know, that democracy is on the ballot as well. And I think the, uh, those two things, among others, um, and, and please, if I'm missing something because I've had a long day and I, maybe my brain's not working, but like if, if I'm missing something, though, I feel like those two issues brought people out mm -hmm. to vote this, this yeah. cycle. I mean, it's a midterm. So you would expect that, you know, the Democrats have the House and the Senate and the White House. So you would expect historically that there would be a, you know, the Republicans would gain some ground and get get some seats. And they did, but it wasn't as big of a wave as vibes were, were mm -hmm. telling. Um, polls were surprisingly accurate this cycle. I'm someone who f follows the numbers with 538 mm -hmm. when it comes to these type of things. And, uh, you know, but it, it was... It was a historical mm -hmm. midterm and we're still getting we're still getting answers. But, you know, in numbers and there's going to be a lot of analysis about what brought people to the polls, who were the people that came mm -hmm. to the polls. And there was a lot of it, this. This was interesting to me. There were in many states a lot of split yes. ticket votes. Yeah, there would be, you know, you might vote red for governor, but then blue for mm -hmm. senator or, or vice versa or 
and you know and on the issues it was all over the place like there were a, on a lot of ballot measures across mm-hmm. the country there were like 51 percent to 49 percent like like you know just i think democracy came out on election day on november 8th because there was just it was just so it was fascinating to me how there weren't really landslides but there were people like pe- people mm-hmm. spoke with mm-hmm. their vote it gave me hope even though i started this segment with let's enter a place to all devoid of hope <laughs> <laughs> because i feel like it was democracy at work and it was very very amazing to I see i think when it comes down to it like as negative or as like pessimistic as we can be as a society i don't think people want to be made to feel like there is no future, right? Or like they don't want, I don't think they want these negative messages that a lot of these campaigns were running on. Like it doesn't sell because people want to feel like at our core as human beings, we want to feel like the future can be brighter, right? Um, And I will always say this, that the the Republicans, the GOP can out-organize Democrats in every way, pretty much, but um, being able to operate under a banner of here's what we have hope for in our future brings coalitions together. Like, I think that's just, and that is what we saw. And thank God, thank God, because <laughs> Jesus, I took off on Thursday because I was like, was I'm not coming there. in. <laughs> there was, yeah. I was not, I was not. I stayed up till two thirty yep. on Tuesday. I think I told both of you this, and I just I did this on in twenty twenty two. I mean, it was a presidential election, and people are more excited about those than they are about midterms. And Dan, hi Dan, stayed up with me in twenty twenty, <laughs> and like till three in the morning, we were waiting for things to come in. I don't know why I did this for the midterms. I think it's just I don't know. I'm just so fascinated by the democratic process, but. I don't know. It, it, it was in, it was interesting to me and not even just the big the big races, not even just, you know, the toss up Senate races, toss up House races. But 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 ballot measures, mm-hmm. too, I think had it they had a big. Night like like marijuana, mm-hmm. uh, you know, was was legalized in five, five states, I think, on Election Day when. A, a woman's right to an abortion was on the ballot. Women's reproductive rights were upheld in every state that it was on the ballot. Like those things, too, not just the 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 candidates, but but the yeah. actual measures I found were 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 fascinating to to right see. Right when we're on the brink of like, I swear to God, if this doesn't go the right way, it's gonna be <laughs> like we were we were teetering on the edge there, and like. <laughs> I have a renewed sense of hope that like seeing what happened yeah. on Tuesday, but that's why I was like, I'm just, I'm just unwilling to discuss before <laughs> these <Yeah. laughs> results come out because I'm too stressed. I, I have a thought about, I mean, Justin, you just mentioned how the, how the ballots were not one color this time around. A lot of purple. And this might be a pessimist, right. Um, and this might be a pessimistic thought, but it's just something I've, been thinking about um or have thought about in the past this my observation was that this was the first time that 
many people who have experienced a lot of privilege just i'm i'm speaking individuals not like i don't want to generalize saw themselves on the ballot a little bit and i feel like it was interesting i don't want to generalize again and be like oh red versus like red votes this way or blue votes this way but do you know what i'm saying though like there were a lot of i know people in my own life who voted a different way than they normally do because and they didn't say it explicitly, but this was the first time they felt like, oh, this is enraging. This mm. is not okay. Mm. That's what the message I'm trying to get So at. So I hope that moving forward... Do you mean like an issue or like an issue someone was running on or an issue... Oh, I'm speaking about... Measure, like affected I'm speaking about abortion or... rights. I didn't... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if... And reproductive okay. health care. Okay. A lot of people who... And again, that even saying a lot of people is a generalization. Right. But people who have not been as passionate about social justice issues were suddenly angry and rightfully Mm. so but i hope that in future elections those same people will continue to show up for other causes as well because that one was extremely important my sweatshirt can we reference my sweatshirt yeah let women run shit (laughs) (laughs) including the music industry Including the music music industry, I have to say. But that's neither here nor there. Um, I have to say, yeah, no, I just hope that they that we continue to show up for causes that don't affect us as well. And they do all affect us in some mm-hmm. in some way. It's it's all interconnected, but of course people are gonna be more affected and more harmed by certain laws than others. Like I can't have children. Like, mm-hmm. I can't produce a child, or I can't give birth to a child. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, you know, that's not, I'm not the person that anti-abortion laws are discriminating against. But Yeah. And I think that, like, gets at kind of the core of our question of, like, who are we voting for? Like, not candidates, but I mean, like, are we voting out of, like, own, for our own self-interest? Or are we voting in the interests of the most vulnerable people exactly. in our society? And I think a lot of people have waited until the 11th hour <laughs> when democracy is teetering on the brink to feel affected by um, like the Dobbs decision, right? The Supreme Court decision. Like, and it's hard because I don't want to be like too little too late because it's not because that made a huge difference in the midterms. But like if we w- were voting with the most vulnerable people in our mind, th- those votes could have changed a lot earlier. Right. And like we've been through a lot, like just being at the teaching, we were going to the Capitol. Ignatian family teaching for justice. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> We were walking up the, like to the Capitol, and I was having like January 6th flashbacks. Not that I was there, but like watching it on TV. <laughs> and I was like, right. oh, right, there was right. a violent coup attempt since the last time I was here. <laughs> it's an insurrection. Like, it's an insurrection. Yeah, like we've had, you know, that was the big thing about George Floyd's murder, right? Was that like it hit a limit for people. 
But even then, some people did not hit that limit. Like, how much suffering are we willing to put others through until it hits home for us? And again, like, I'm glad that people have changed their minds and came out for that. But we could have used it a lot sooner. And like you said, we have to continue to show up for um, not just our own interests, but for kind of the common good is an overused phrase, but but kind of, you know? I'm going to say it reminds me of the poem First They Came, which Campus Ministry right. did use. I, I think it was before you worked there mm-hmm. as a professional staff, but we used that on the... You know the green board that needs to be thrown out so badly? Yeah. The wooden thing? <laughs> yes, that. That. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I really like that poem, but it's, yeah, it's by uh, Martin Niemöller. I don't know how to say his last name. I'm not going to lie. I'm not good with accents over letters. <laughs> we'll include it in the we'll include it in the show notes. Sounds great. We'll include it in the show notes. I thought you just said the show nouns. I was like, wow, I love that. The show nouns. The show nouns? I love that. So another controversial topic in, in society, uh, religion. Um, <laughs> religion and politics. <laughs> this is why you brought me here. Exactly. Hey, Thanksgiving's coming up this week. So, you know, it's. <laughs> I tell, I'm like, it is not family holiday holiday until my grandmother calls me a communist, you know? So it just uh, I'm dead. It always happens. So it's fine. I want to bring in another topic, another, you know, controversial topic, because, you know, religion and politics, I guess that's what we're, we're doing on this episode <laughs> with you, Emily. Thanksgiving's coming up. It's, it's, it's a wonderful time to do that. Um, but we, the three of us did meet in an office of campus ministry at a Jesuit Catholic University. I think that's important to, to bring up. Um, and religion has played a role in you know different role but has played some sort of role in the three of our lives and the reason i bring it up is because in what we were just talking about there's a dichotomy between the religious mm-hmm. i find Woof. where there's mm. some people <laughs> there's some people with certain religious beliefs that lean towards one way of the political spectrum and again this is overgeneralizing and then there's another section of of the religious that that lean toward the other way of the spectrum and and that's fascinating to me in in the world of politics but then also and emily you brought this up when we were planning for this episode you mentioned that some of the most long-standing social justice movements that still have traction and are still kind of you know advocating for different things have come out and of churches and been founded mm-hmm. in churches so I don't know if I necessarily have a question with with what this kind of section of the of the episode, but I do I did want to bring the conversation towards it because it's it's religion is fascinating mm-hmm. to me and and its role in in all of these things that we've been talking. It's about. It's messy. It's super super messy. Yeah, I think this is something that I've reflected on a ton as my personal relationship with religion organized religion has shifted i have gotten so 
frustrated and jaded and like uh, like like pessimistic about like so much of organized (laughs) religion because of what we see and like these just like really well organized strategic moves to weaponize religion and then at the same time you have the poor people's campaign right which started with martin luther king jr like you have these super long standing movements that have their base in a community of faith and i'm like how do these things exist at the same time how do i reconcile my desire to work for justice when I'm struggling with my faith. But there's something so powerful by recognizing that, like, the reason that I, I think, the reason why these movements that are in faith communities are so long-standing is because you have something to look to. You have values that connect to you. You have um, a sense of something greater that gives you this like life sustaining hope. <laughs> I've never said that word so many times in a in a conversation, but like <laughs> and this is something I I told you before was like it is so easy to just get burned out, right? I always tell people flame out you flame out like a dying star because it's just so big and so emotional and so difficult to like look at the world. That if you don't have something, a a greater vision to look towards, it's easy to just, like, flame out. And I think that's why they have such, like, power in being able to work for justice. But it is, like, totally, it's a confusing place to be. It's a confusing dichotomy. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you've, you've helped me a lot with that through college and and after you showed me a a book that i read actually i think it's on my night table right now because i was referencing some pages but uh jesus mm-hmm. the rebel what a legend and just love that whole- book love it <laughs> that guy would yeah, hate half just- of his fault no i'm kidding he wouldn't hate because he doesn't well hate he doesn't <laughs> i was like ready to jump on board i'm like mm-hmm Right? Like, well, no, okay, so, okay, maybe his human side would, but he also had a divine side, okay, guys? Like, come on. We're theologians. If I were, if I were a, uh, one of the disciples, I would have been one of the people that were like, excuse me, don't talk to Jesus. And, like, he would have been like, no, it's okay. Like, I would have been been gatekeeping Jesus. I would have, because they did, the disciples totally did. They were like, Jesus, we'll handle it. Like, well, let's, you know. Yeah. This man step away. He's, he's a sinner. Like he this man be sinning. Mm-hmm. We've got this. <laughs> Anyways. My the well, the reason I bring that book up is because just honestly you only need, really need to know yeah. the title, right? Jesus was a rebel in his time. And I feel like oftentimes people s- social justice advocates or people who work for social justice really working for change working for systemic change and that's what jesus did and that's kind of where my interest in social justice was founded and i often say that my faith is rooted in the life of christ Mm. and the gospels because i find my motivation and inspiration from those stories i especially appreciate 
his interactions with the Pharisees because the <laughs> Pharisees are always like, this is how it always is. <laughs> That's and what I'm saying. Like, he's like, no. That was a good Pharisee he's like, impression. No, yes. Thank you. Thank you. I was, was I've been studying for a while. <laughs> I, <laughs> and, you know, it's like, he's a tax collector. Why would you do that? And it's like, what? He's a tax collector. Like, he's... I love how sinners are either tax collectors or prostitutes. It's like there's uh-huh. no in between in the Bible. It's just like you either collect taxes or you're <laughs> really having sex. Like that's like that is that is what what you are in the Bible. If you're that's how they describe sinners. Anyways, it's, so I don't know that for for me, I guess that's where that's where religion religion for me that's the role mm-hmm. that it has because it's it's as you were saying there's that that something mm-hmm. bigger it's something you're, you're you know that's your set of morals that it gives you the the, the virtues that you're raised with it's wh- where i have issue with religion or i'm just gonna speak my you know people who listen to the show know that i'm a catholic it's it's with like the the institutional church it's it's with certain policies that haven't changed or adapted with the worlds or you know like I, I don't know I'm not going to give examples because because I think so many different mm-hmm. things can come up for people when I say this but I think that's where it's difficult because a lot of what Catholicism teaches does not reflect the world that I see yeah. every day yeah so 100% I think a professor in grad school told me this and I never will forget it that he said and you've probably heard me say this before but he said that the moment Christianity became the religion of the empire it all went downhill the moment Constantine was like this is the official religion of the empire and everybody has to convert we lost sight of what it was about right because I love that book and a a mentor gave me that book um and I was like, yes, because I love... Jesus the Rebel? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, was, yeah. It, was Nick, <laughs> it was Nick, my mentor. It was Nick. Because, like, Jesus was, like, a badass, like, radical... I Table-flipping Jesus is my favorite Jesus. I love that shit. I love that he just walked in there and he was like, ah, and, like, flipped the table and was, like, yelling at people because I'm like, yes, like, that is... I connect to that, you know? It taps into, like, the anger. He's the original Avril Lavigne crashing the mall in 2002. Like, there he is. He really, yes, yes. And, like, he was like, I do not care what you say. Like, this is who my priority is. These are the people that I'm spending time with. And that was, like, such a, it was such a radical stance. And so much so that he was executed right by the state um but yeah i think like once christianity specifically i don't even want to say i mean white christianity for sure but like christianity in constantine's time once it became aligned with power it it just disintegrated and i think that's what's happened with the u.s catholic church right there's so much interwoven with power that we've lost sight of what's at the core and can i just say too that like the whole you have to do this in order to be catholic or you have to do no you don't 
Okay, like or even like any religion, like yeah. some of the things is just but like, even though like uh, well you have to go to church. No, you don't. A lot of people don't feel well. A lot of people consider themselves religious or Catholic or Christian and don't go to church. And a lot of people feel that we've spoken to feel unwelcome there. Mm-hmm. I personally do not believe in the Jesus that the Bible talks about for the most part because we know that these people were humans writing, trying to describe what was going on around them. Mm. And it's only written from one perspective. Mm-hmm. Like it was male writers, for what we know. I mean, I wasn't mm-hmm. there. <laughs> I went to church when I was working at at Loyola. Like I went there mm-hmm. when I was like doing hospitality because I like to. Do, I I like having a role more than I like like just sitting in a pew. Thank you for your liturgical service. <laughs> You're really welcome. Shout out. <laughs> Representing all the sacristans, past and present. And honestly, future. when I was doing it, I looked phenomenal. No, I'm kidding. I, yes. I'm, I'm and that's what it's about, I'm really. I'm that, exactly, yeah. right? It's a fashion show. No, 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 no. And I honestly, I was not. Like I, I just I just needed. To, I felt like the moment because... needed a joke, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, you don't have, like, I don't know. I, I like what George um says about, and I'll keep his last name out of here, but. Catholic. Even though we've said it on the show, before, yeah, no, yeah, no, but yeah, no, you know, no. we can keep it out. We've of this gone episode. back and edited, but um, yeah. <laughs> Catholic with a small C. You know? mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like as I've gotten older and I've kind of just been on my own journey of like my understanding of my faith. Um, I I moved a lot towards, and I talk about this with people. I'm, in the office, I've been really drawn, like, to the Quakers, um, in the fact that, that, like, there is communal worship. I don't love that phrase, worship, but, like, there's communal wisdom. Like, every person within a meeting has wisdom to share, and that you Mm -hmm. don't require, like, an intermediary with God and that has really resonated with me but it's taken a long time to like get to the point where I'm like unpacking my religious trauma and being like oh my god like (laughs) do I really believe all these things and some of the things I do right and some of the things I'm like I don't know if I'm on board with that at this point Um, but it takes a lot of work and it's like so personal it's like so deeply personal. personal um but I think some really beautiful things can come from that. And like at the Ignatian Family Teaching for Justice. It, Heard of it. I like how you came close to the mic. That was iconic. Came back. Yeah. <laughs> um, I attended a session from uh, given by a colleague, Teresa Carino Pearson, and she talked about somatic discernment. And she was talking about like paying attention to our bodies and recognizing like the wisdom within our own bodies and that is like very much something I am like getting into these days of and it's and it's super Ignatian too right that's what she did she drew those ties between that and discernment um how are we paying attention to these inner workings of our minds and our hearts and our bodies and I'm like this this I am like about I'm less about like yeah are you allowed to receive communion or not or like are you standing or kneeling like I'm more right. about like how are we tapping into the wisdom of our bodies to connect with God? You know, like that's yeah. more my vibe. Yeah. 
And yeah, and it used Ignatius was very much. Like, I mean, th- look, take Ignatian contemplation as a form yeah. of prayer, like putting yourself into the story, but like actually, like I don't know. Ignatian contemplation is cool because you, you're supposed to read the story, like a story or a few verses, like repeatedly, and it's close your eyes, put yourself in a story. Are you Jesus? Mm-hmm. Are you a disciple? Are you the woman at the well? Are you like who? Who are you in the story? Are you just a, a, a someone who's observing from the ma- a mountaintop as you're watching things happen down in a valley? Like where are where do you see yourself in the story? And where personally do you f- like feel you resonate most with yeah. with it? I don't know. I just it's a very Ignat- that's a very Ignatian mm-hmm. thing, and I I think that's why I loved my, my introduction to the Jesuits and Ignatian spirituality was at Loyola. And I think it was yours mm-hmm. too, yes. Emily. Nick, you went to a Jesuit high school. Yes. Um, but I feel like Ignatian spirituality is so accessible and approachable because it's one, it's a spirituality. So it's, it's, you know, it, yes, it is in the context of the Catholic mm-hmm. church, but, but no matter where you are in your religious journey, I feel like you can resonate with aspects mm-hmm. of it, which makes mm-hmm. it so cool. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, side note. I guess that was I, no, but those <laughs> are all really useful tools. And he's so, he Ignatius himself is such a symbol of hope for a better future and a better self mm-hmm. too, because he like the Bible would call him a tax collector slash prostitute, and haters would say <laughs> it's fake. Like I just you know like he he was he had the prostitute he did kind of womanizer yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I don't know. What is, what's the sign that kept getting stolen he was a Party Boy. that was like <laughs> yeah he was a womanizer.mp3 by britney spears and he yeah. had this like full turnaround <laughs> granted it took a cannonball but you know he did and he became a saint so look at that i love that saint ignatius is the only saint with a notarized police record and That's i love yeah. That That's he, like, so... went to the extreme and was like, I'm going to live in a cave and not bathe for months. And, like, everybody was like, ooh. And he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa that sounds too like a much. Sin. He was like, yeah. let's, <laughs> let's recalibrate. Like, his is a journey of, like, understanding. A journey of, like, information gathering and adapting based on your information. Based on new info. Like, <laughs> yes, it's just like, that is okay. And that's encouraged. And I wish that there are so many spaces within the Jesuit justice world where people are so beautifully interweaving these things, right? And saying, how do we look critically at ourselves as a Catholic church, as an institution, and use the tools that we have to, to improve, constant challenge to improve, right? Um, but there are so, so many people that just can't, access that and it sucks it really sucks every time the usccb puts out a statement i'm like no (laughs) please god no (laughs) like uh, it's just it's hard but yeah i like that nick i think he like it is a good example of of hope for a, a different future As we kind of bring this episode to a close, um, we've talked a lot about. I want I want to end it with a quote that from someone that mm. we all know, 
we've talked a lot about hope. We've talked about kind of the relation between faith and hope. And um, someone that we all know, a, a colleague of ours, um, Reverend Scott Adams, said that hope is a confident expectation. Mm-hmm. And I f- feel like that framing of hope is... is it, it, I've said the word fascinating so many times. Fascinating. Episode, but I, I, it, it's, it's fascinating. I feel like David Attenborough. Sir David Attenborough. So, <laughs> but I feel like that's such a unique framing mm. and, and, it, and an uplifting mm-hmm. uh, perspective from someone, from a man who has a reserve of hope that will not mm. dry up. Rev, if you know Rev Scott, you know that he is someone who, in the darkest of times, will still have some light mm-hmm. and, and, and enough to mm-hmm. share. And so with that framing of hope is a, is a confident expectation, we've talked about kind of like structural hope and personal hope. I want to ask both of you, and I'll answer myself, where do you f- find your personal hope nowadays? And cut. <laughs> I have an answer. I think <laughs> oh I have my an God, I don't have an answer. <laughs> No, but it might be like pulling it out of my ass. Like, <laughs> I was just gonna I mean... say, I was just gonna say what a belief and what I can't access. Like, I was mm. gonna originally say like holding on to what I don't have, but I don't mean it. That sounds like a materialistic <laughs> thing. Like, I'm gonna get that car. Just kidding. I hate cars. Um, I hate cars. I would. I will stick with my Subaru for as long as I live. Um. I love Donna. Uh, I'm still driving the car I learned how to drive in, Nick, so I it's love okay. That. I Her love name that. is Lil Blue. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Um, Low Blue Lil, or Little Blue? Lil. L-I-L apostrophe. I see. I like yeah. the rapper. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but so that's that's one. Just like when you don't have what you need. And by what you, like, I'm speaking more from like a an idea, not like physical things Mm -hmm. i'm not talking about material things i'm not even talking about like food and like shelter because you know i've just admittedly i'm privileged enough to have those things but i mean like something if i need healing like like and i don't have it in the moment and just believing that it can happen Mm. it's you know holding on to the Mm. idea of what you need Because without it, you don't you don't have it anyways, and it's like you're either gonna have it in your mind or you're not gonna have it at all. Hmm. I like that. And if that was bad, I'll put it right back where it came from. It's <laughs> <laughs> enough out of me. I'm really curious I, to hear Emily's I, answer. Not to put pressure on you, but like you're like. Should we save her for the finale? The finale. I don't like for the end? The finale. Well, if you have an I, answer, then if, sure. If you're, I, if you, I have one. I don't Go. know. This, this sounds cliche, but I find hope in people and in community and in my friends and my family. I, I, I mean, in all of those no, my friends and my family and my community, like, I don't agree with mm. everyone. And I don't, you know, that's not what this world is about. In fact, I'm, I, even though it can be 
frustrating sometimes when you don't agree with everyone. I love that I don't agree with everyone because I think the word would be the world would be painfully boring if I agreed with everyone, everything that everybody said, whether it be politically, religiously, whatever. And you know, when whatever lens you take our conversation from, from the politics side, from the social justice side, from the religious side, from, you know, if you hate the MCU, I don't know, like, <laughs> get off this podcast, get, get, get off, get off the show. Yeah. No, but I, I find hope in community because in the end, I think that as humans, I mean, I, I mean, I also like in the field of like psychology and stuff, and I love, you know, just making connections. In the feelings business—that's that what my dad says. The feelings business. Yes, I'm in yeah. the feelings business, and I just I think that we have a lot more in common than we do different. And I think when people come together, that shows a lot of hope. Like in the darkest of times and in the best of times, I think that brings me a lot of hope. And now I'm sounding like Charles Dickens in the beginning of Tale of Two Cities. And it, it was, was the, the darkest best of times. times. The worst. Best of times. It was the I was worst of say, times. I was gonna God say that bless before. us, everyone. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was and a then Christmas Carol. Accurate answer, though. Um, it, it very, <laughs> very like accurately sums up like who Justin Do is. Honestly, Aww. like I have to say. Thank you. Pass it. No, is it? You ever, you ever yes. play Bop It? Yeah. Pull it. Pass it. <laughs> if you will. All right. Here's what I'll say. I think that, well, in, in reference to Reverend Scott Hamilton Adams, who I love. I've heard of him. He has said that, and I, I told this to you all. He, told, he said that, and I was like, what the hell? does that mean and i am continue to be challenged by it because i'm not sure i've ever accessed the confident expectation side of that right but it is a goal <laughs> i'm moving towards it right it's something for me personally to strive for to have such hope that it is a confident expectation because I believe it wholeheartedly, when, like, from him, right? Like you said, he's like a bottomless well of hope and not – it's something we didn't quite touch on, right? But, like, not necessar- not optimism, not, like, good vibes only, but, <laughs> like, like, hope, like, deep-rooted hope. So it's a, that's a challenge. But what's coming to mind, I think – is that when I look at the world, like the enormity of the world and all that it has to offer, like I just feel so sure that like there is something beyond this for us. And like that that, whatever that is, wants the best for us. And, like, this is a very broken, beautiful, but, like, partial iteration of whatever that is that's to come. And, like, so I don't know what that is, and I don't feel confident to say, like, what I think that is. But 
the hope that there is something greater based on like the beauty and the diversity and the like grandeur of the world I'm like okay like there is something else and like that gives me this like more sustained hope so when I wake up like this morning and I'm in like a really crappy mood for like no reason at all you know it's like to draw you out of that like to think that that's where I started this day being like all right I want to get out of bed and like (laughs) now kind of sitting here feeling like that awe of like the world and feeling that hope like hello like there that is what gives me hope yeah to quote patrick and and go ahead (laughs) to quote patrick star forget my dumb idea that's great (laughs) (laughs) to quote patrick star that was so good i will never recover from that to quote Patrick no, that Star. was really good, and I agree with what you said. And Justin has something more important to say than what I just said. So I'm gonna let him take the. No, point. it was not. I was just gonna say that as someone who did not, who woke up on the wrong side of the bed today as well, and I said in the very beginning that I felt like this was gonna be the highlight of my day. That it most definitely was. I just so much enjoyed this conversation. That answer to what brings you hope. It was so. I think it was, and this is. In the best way, it was like concrete yet abstract enough that I think anyone can kind of take something from it and that, that they can mm. relate to. Like, like sometimes it's not you can't put your finger on what it is that that gives you hope, right? Sometimes it's just a feeling. Sometimes it's just an experience that happens, and you can't put words to it. But that's why, you know they say actions speak louder than words, emotions speak louder than mm-hmm. words, all that. So I don't know. I, I think there's so much wisdom to what you said and what you shared in this episode. And I'm so glad that we made this happen. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. <laughs> My first podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not your last. You're really Hopefully good at it. Hopefully not my last. I, I listened to enough. <laughs> so, this is the tease that in season three, Emily is our third Yes, 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 yes. I have gotten him to use seasons. Subliminally. Oh, shut up. This is... Ha, ha, ha. I hate you. I was severely against My marketing seasons. brain. I was like, no, but, we're just... I mean, I, and I said we, we didn't it. have to use them, but... I know, and now look, people call it look that. He's a marketing way, genius. I'm calling it... Well, I mean, I wouldn't say that. I'd say more like connoisseur. No. Um. <laughs> I love this. Thank you so, so, so much for tolerating my annoying whining. Oh about no, wanting no, to be on you. the pod. <laughs> I have to say this was one of my favorite episodes. It was very restorative. Ooh. The only thing we're missing is a grounding practice. <laughs> and then it would really be like my stamp on it. We'd, I was going to say, we need your Guinness shirt if we're going to do that. <laughs> that was the worst. Oh, my God. Um, thank you again, Emily. We really appreciate you being here. You always have so much wisdom to share with us in our lives. So I'm just very grateful and for you to be on this episode to share your wisdom with our audience. I already know Nick, so many people that are going to be so excited about when they hear that you're on it. <laughs> like I just can't wait to start telling people. I mean, that's record gonna, I'm record gonna... number of views. 
Yeah, you know. This is a ratings ploy. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know I'm going to get off and text Elizabeth and Rachel and be like, guess who we just spoke to. <laughs> why? They're going to be like, lies. she never texts us back. Uh, oh, that's all right. I don't need it. I never text anybody back. It's not personal. <laughs> With that, my name is Justin Dew. And I am Nick Gervasi. And you can reach us at our email, pointofdewpodcast at gmail.com, or by sending us a voice message on our website, anchor.fm forward slash pointofdew. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at pointofdewpodcast and Twitter at pointofdew. If you enjoy our show, give us a rating or review wherever you get your podcast, or share us with a friend or family member, especially as Thanksgiving rolls around. We really appreciate it and are truly grateful for all of your support throughout this show's existence i guess um as always we hope you have a wonderful uh week but also month we're not going to see you until december so hopefully this episode gives you the daily dose of do that you need and thank you for listening until next time Sometimes when we were together